0: Um, Acts chapter 16, this passage of Scripture has always been one of my favorites, one of those that just seems to speak to me personally in a deep way. Um, And I want to just begin here. I want to begin with telling you that ultimately what I am sharing with you is something that has been planned for a couple of months, not because... um, uh, not because I'm trying to in any way you know be impressed uh, you know some some way of impressing or anything like that, but what happens that I often see is I often see the Lord's planning early intersect with people's needs in that moment. And today I know that there are some of you that are going through some difficult times. I know that some of you are going through hard hardships and heartaches, and I have planned already to preach this message that in many ways is an encouragement and is a challenge. And I don't want you to think, well, Pastor Randy knows I'm going through this, I wonder if he's preaching directly to me. That is not the case at all. All I'm doing is staying on the path that I've had in place for about eight weeks, okay? And so I share this with you, promising you that if there were one of you going through this, I would change it. Because I've never tried to stand behind a pulpit and preach to one person. My dad told me, he's a minister and he's like my hero. And my dad told me, if you can't say what you need to say to one person, then don't you dare stand behind the pulpit and preach to everybody, but really only preach to one. Because that's not a man's way of doing it. And that's the way to make a mockery of the pulpit. So I'm not doing that today. And so if you're going through something, if you're going through a trial or a heartache, this is not me Hopefully, as your pastor, knowing something about what you're dealing with and what you're going through, and then turning around and putting it on full display. I'm not like that, and I don't think that any pastor should be, but ultimately, what I feel I should do is stay on that same path, because what I've found most of the time is in preaching like that, in preaching the things that have been planned for a while, And then touching people at that moment of need, it's not for one, it is usually for all. And most of the time, the persons that get the most out of it are those who I didn't even know were going through the hardship. So this is a message for us all. And even that last song that we sang is for us all, and it is such a great song to sing in conjunction with the passage of Scripture that Eric read from Acts chapter 16, talking about how Paul and Silas were thrown into the dungeon, and yet still were singing in the middle of the storm. And so as we share this message today, I hope and pray that it will be something that God uses to be a blessing to you wherever you are. So let's talk about this message uh, that in, in conjunction with all the others that we have been talking about. Here's where we've been. We've been talking about uh, the near-death experience near Damascus, the Damascus Road experience, the prep and the steps of Saul to Paul has you know, how Saul changed from not just the man who was a different man, but also a man who was known by a different name. We talked last week about Paul's thorn meeting God's grace and how God's grace is sufficient for us and overcomes even those problems that we have. And today I want to talk about callings, closed doors, and prison cells. And so I want to talk a little bit about these things from the passage of scripture from the book of Acts. Now, I'll just say this real quickly. Most of us love the idea of being called. We love that calling and doing something that is a blessing to other people. But most of the time when we are called to do something, there comes a burden along with it. And this is usually something that we can deal with and move forward from, but sometimes the burden becomes very difficult for us to sustain under. And so we turn instead and we say, there's too many closed doors, there's too many burdens, there's too many trials, and I just want to walk away and have it back in the way that it was before I answered this calling. And if we go back and begin even all the way back to week number one where we talked about Paul and where we talked about how he was on the Damascus Road and how God himself, Jesus himself spoke and he said, hey, I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer to reach those people. He's going to go through difficulties and trials and tribulations on on an epic scale. And I'm going to show him that he's got to go through all those things, but he'll be faithful and he is going to be my missionary in a powerful way. And really, in many ways, Paul is one of the driving forces behind the early church. So we're going to talk about his callings, his closed doors, and his prison cells that he faced even just in this one particular chapter of Acts chapter 16. Let's go to our next slide and let's talk about this. Let's just run through them very quickly if you were to read chapter 16 beginning at the very beginning and going through the the end we don't do that we We read big chunks of scripture because that is the life-changing power here in this place. You know, Uh, It's not the words that I share, but it is the life-changing power of God's word. So I don't ever apologize, but I never want to lose you in the midst of it. So we didn't read all of chapter 16, but here you see the closed door. If you read down through, it says that Paul was kept by the Spirit of God from preaching in the province of Asia. Now, real quickly... That's very interesting because you would think that God would want him to preach wherever he went and do whatever he wanted to do as long as he was preaching, but that's not the case. The Bible actually closes a couple of doors and then sends a call to him to go to a new place. So let's go to this next slide as well. Another closed door kept by the Spirit of God from preaching in a city called Bithynia, and that's in chapter 16, verse seven. So Paul is getting this attempt and it's a closed door. He gets this attempt, and it's another closed door. Now, do you guys understand what I mean by a closed door? Y'all do probably, right? When you want to go in a certain direction, it feels like everything is just simply saying, not right now, or not at all. It's a closed door that you can't walk through, and Paul is getting these closed doors when he's trying to go out and share the gospel, You almost think that that shouldn't be that way, but God's word says very clearly that's exactly what was happening. But let's go to our next slide here. And then Paul receives what is called the Macedonian call. And that Macedonian call says, come to the region of Macedonia and help us. And then Paul and his companions, they go and they preach. Now, let me just share something with you to learn and let's talk about this Macedonian call Paul received something that would come to be known as the Macedonian call of vision where Paul saw a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And Paul responds by going to that region of Macedonia to one of the biggest and kind of the most um, uh, well-known cities in that place. And he goes and he plants the church at Philippi. How many of you guys know how important that is? Because later he would write a letter to the what? The Philippians, Right. And the events are all told there in Acts chapter 16. Now, I want to just do this real quickly, if you don't mind, Alicia. Can we scroll back? And we see that one pic, uh, that, that, that third uh, call, closing uh, doors and all of that. The Macedonian call, this is where we'd like for it to end. Can I, can I share with you? This is where we'd like for it to end. Because we understand as human beings a closed door, don't we? How many of you guys here have ever felt like you had a closed door, that God had another plan for you, different than the one that you had for yourself, but you felt like it was a closed door? We've all been there. We like that because it's a closed door, it's a closed door, and then it's a Macedonian call, right? Yeah, we get it. God said no. God said no. He wanted me on this path. This is where I go. And if this is where it stopped, we'd like it. But this is not where it stopped. Paul went and he planted the church. He met a woman who was a well-off woman, a dealer in the color purple, which was a very expensive dye, and that be clothes or fabrics or any of those things. She was probably very, very well-off. She was a person who was seeking the Lord but didn't understand who Jesus was. Paul and his companions show up. They declare Jesus to her. She immediately says, yes, I'm in. This is igniting a fire in my soul, so much so that I trust you to come and stay at my house. She probably had a large house. And this is eventually where the church at Philippi is launched and planted by beginning to have meetings in this woman's house. You guys with me? And so all of this sounds great and seems good and if it stops right here, it all makes sense and we like this. But this is not where it stops, is it? You guys heard what, what uh, you know, Eric was reading a little earlier and in the process of that, we understand that there was a whole nother trial There were a couple of closed doors, a a freeway of God's leading, and then suddenly in the middle of being in the midst of God's will, in what we as Christians sometimes refer to as the center of God's will, we don't like to think about this, but in the center of God's will, in doing the very thing that he was asked to do by God's spirit, he gets beaten within inches of his life and thrown in a prison cell. You see, I told you y'all wouldn't say amen, right? I mean, you, you understand what I'm saying? We like it when it's closed door, closed door fruitfulness, but it was closed door, closed door fruitfulness, and then trial on a personal level that was hard for him to swallow. I, now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I can promise you there have been times in my life, I'm a, okay. Full disclosure, I'm gonna go ahead and do full disclosure instead of pretending that I'm something else. All right, full disclosure is is that I don't always do what God says me, for me to do even as a pastor, y'all pray for me. Can I get an amen or is it just me, right? So the truth is is that I try but I don't always live up to that standard. But I will tell you as a Christian, one of the hardest things for me to do is when I actually do go over that threshold that I don't always go over and I do the things that God has asked me to do as best I know how and then I have a harder time after it than I had before I went over that threshold. Can I get an amen on that? Have any of y'all had that experience? If you had, your prayers started sounding like this. God, what are we doing here? I thought you said this is what you wanted me to do. I did it, and now where am I? What is happening here? And I know that Paul is a human being and it is difficult for him to understand. Lord, I'm right dead center in the you will, so much so that I saw a vision from heaven. And I was obedient to the vision, and here I am, and I just got beaten within inches of my life. I've been thrown in prison, and I've been thrown into the place where I'm in the inner cell of the inner dungeon. And even worse than that, my feet are in the stocks. And I'm going to tell you something. Do any of y'all in here claustrophobic like I am? I mean, if you're anywhere claustrophobic, you can throw me in any place you want to. Just don't fasten my feet down. I mean, I'm like a seven-year-old, you know, who's frustrated that he didn't get candy. I'm like, you know, doing that whole thing. I mean, I can't imagine how frustrating it would be for Paul to be in the situation he is. But this is where people like you and me get separated from people like Paul. Because Paul sees something that God is doing in the midst of all of this stuff that he can't understand, but he trusts God anyway. And this is where we can level up in our Christianity, where we say, God, I don't like it. God, I don't understand it. God, I don't want it. But God, I will... Obey anyway. You see, this is where it's hard for us, but this is where we change, and He isn't just Lord Jesus, He is Jesus the Lord. You understand the difference, what I'm saying here? Oh, the Lord Jesus this and the Lord Jesus that. Well, you know, that means that He says what happens and He says what goes. And if you will remember that Jesus Himself in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Thine be done. That's a hard prayer to pray. And here in the middle of a Philippian jail, when Paul was in the center of God's will and yet beaten within inches of his life, he said, nevertheless, not, thy, not my will, but thine be done. And then he and Silas even go a step further. And they started singing a little louder. Yes, they sang a little louder, Yes, they sang a little louder in the presence of their enemies. Yes, they sang a little, y'all see where I'm going with it? I mean, no smiles. I mean, come on, y'all. You understand? They sang in the middle of their unbelief, right? In that feeling of being pulled in different directions. And as they start singing, people start paying attention, especially the jailer that they don't think cares at all. Now, I haven't gone all the way off script, but I've done all the things that I need to do that are off script. So let's keep moving back onto the script. Let's go to our fourth slide here, or this slide, no, no, perfect, thank you. Paul and his companions traveled through that region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word They came to the border of Mysia, tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them. So they passed by Mysia, went down to Troas. And then it says on the next slide, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is called the Macedonian call. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And then our next slide here, we see that fourth thing where they're thrown into uh, prison for preaching, and it all is detailed in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. Let's keep moving. Here's what I want you to not miss. So many of us want to have God alongside of us, but we want to be the leader of the dance. How many of you have ever wanted to lead the dance and God be your partner? Can I get an amen? Right? It's happened at least once. And so much of what has made Paul's life so successful that he was partnering with God, but it was clearly God who was leading the dance. And it wasn't always fun, but he was always obedient. And that is powerful. And this is what I want to share with you and maybe just slow down just a tiny bit and say that when we lead the dance, we always avoid those things which could actually bring most glory to God because usually those things which bring most glory to God are the things for us that are the most uncomfortable and hurting and trials and all of those things. We avoid those things like the plague and tell us that God's wanting us to go in a different direction. But the truth is, is that oftentimes he leads us right there and then he leaves us right there and then he shines in us while we are right there. It's a difficult thing. It's a difficult truth. All right, let's keep moving. Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 19. This is important and and I just want to share with you. There is... A spiritual element that is involved here and I want to just be very clear you can't simply read the New Testament and think that it's just a bunch of, uh, a, of good ideas and, and solid teachings there are those things but the Bible is very clear that there is an adversary that we face that it is not just simply God and his angels but we face Satan and his henchmen the demons and it's not always easy for us to talk about that in a, in a modern world and in a modern world setting. But I believe in that. I believe that that is a truth because I believe in the scriptures being 100% true. And so as we look at this, we need to understand that Paul and Silas were thrown into jail because they faced down someone who was telling the future by the the demon that was basically giving her information and then helping it to come to pass... And there was a slave girl that was basically fortune-telling, and she was following Paul and Silas around and driving them insane, just screaming at the top of her lungs about them and trying to interrupt all of the connections that they were making with those who were there in Philippi. And you can kind of see it on this passage of scripture that I've thrown up, and then on the next slide as well, you can kind of read it. But basically, one day Paul has had his limit, and he turns around and he says, I demand you evil spirit to leave this woman and do it right now. And so basically the spirit leaves her. And in the process of that, the fortune telling that she was doing ceases to be something that she can do. And that's important to note that ultimately when we start searching for answers out there that are outside of God and the Holy Spirit, we're dabbling in some stuff that we don't need to be dabbling in. I encourage you to let that stuff go by and instead focus. And so it says that when her owners realized their hope of making money were gone, they seize Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And that's where they're beaten. And we see that passage of scripture that, that Eric was reading about how they were beaten and, and, and flogged and all of these things. So real quickly... Don't miss this either, one more, don't miss this. There's a spiritual battle that's happening behind the scenes in our world, and in Acts 16, it's manifested in the Macedonian call for the good, and as the Spirit of God directs Paul to expand his church, but we also see Satan and his demons who enslaved the slave girl who was a fortune teller. And so there's both the good and the evil, and it's on display here in Acts chapter 16. And we can't miss that because it is an important part of our understanding of our worldview. But here is our big idea that we want to share. When we face hard times, our attitude should anticipate his victory. When we face hard times, our attitude should anticipate his victory. In other words, even though we can't see it yet, we believe that God will bring everything around according to his plan and his purposes will be accomplished and we want to partner with him and let that be done because we've participated and partnered rather than resisted what he has for us. So as we look here at the big idea, can you guys say this out loud with me on the count of three? Ready, one, two, three. When we face hard times, Our attitude should anticipate his victory. Now, I'm going to talk about attitude during this message. And I just want to share something with you. I don't think that we need to be fake and phony in order to look spiritual. Ever. Ever. Now, I don't think that we should ever lose sight of the fact that the Lord will gain the victory. But sometimes we're gonna be down and it's gonna be something that's evident on our face. And if that's the case, then that's fine. But let's never lose sight of the victory. I think there's a, I think there's a way that we can understand, hey, this is hard and I'm not loving this. This is not great. <laughs> I think there can be almost like a fake or saccharine kind of feeling whenever you see somebody who glorifies God so loudly in the midst of a difficult time that you're like, I'm not sure that that's true or that's right or accurate. Now, it can be, but it's not always. And I wanna tell you that it's important for you to know, just like I need to be reminded, that you know what, sometimes I get down and sometimes I'm hurting and that's not a problem because I am in being reminded of my need of God in that moment. And so it's not a wrong thing for me as a Christian to say, I'm not okay. <laughs> it's okay to not be okay, even as a Christian. But I will say that Paul and Silas take it to a whole nother level or two, and in the process, there's some beautiful things that happen. So we should anticipate his victory coming even if it means that it's hard for us. So let's keep moving and let's talk about these things as we look forward. We see Jesus in this passage. Jesus is the example of being willing to endure suffering as he willingly laid down his life, did so not with anger or frustration, but with full submission to the plan of God when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and said, not my will, but thine be done, as we mentioned a little earlier. Let's keep moving. And as we do, you see on this next slide, another something to learn. The apostle Paul was a Roman citizen and it gave him rights that non-citizens didn't have. And one of those rights was the right to not be beaten or imprisoned without a trial. Uh, now, citizens were also given the right to appeal to Caesar. That's coming into play next week as we talk about the shipwrecks of Paul, and it's going to be interesting. And essentially, the right to be heard by the Supreme Court is happening in their lawful dealings, and Paul gets to be in front of Caesar because he's a Roman citizen. So it's a big deal and a big part of the mix of Paul's life. But can I just slow down real quickly? Let me ask you a question. When Paul got beaten within inches of his life, was he a Roman citizen, yes or no? He was. Now, did he speak up, yes or no? He did not. But at the end, and when he was going to be released, was Paul a Roman citizen then still? Yes. Did he speak up then? Yes. He used his rights for the protection of the church, I believe, rather than himself. He took a beating so that the people in the church didn't have to take it later. We better not mess with them because remember what we did to their initial leader? He could come back on us and we might get in huge trouble beating a Roman citizen within inches of his life without even giving him a trial or letting him speak. And so Paul takes the beating so that they might be blessed. Paul takes the beating so someone else might be what? Blessed. So in our situation, sometimes it's really hard to raise our hand. And any of y'all in here with the whole catching fire thing, I volunteer as tribute. (laughs) Beat me to death if you must, but let my little brother and my little sister live, right? You understand? Do any any of y'all understand that or is that just a few? Okay, all right. A handful of y'all have seen the movie. They volunteer to take the beating so that others might receive the blessing. Isn't that the very essence of Christ? God, the Father, I volunteer to take the beating on that cross so that others might receive instead the blessing of being forgiven as it comes. So here I challenge you and I. We have rights, not just in this country, but as human beings, But sometimes the best thing for us to do is to do the very opposite of what we are told we should be doing all the time. We should always be looking out for number one because if you don't look out for you, nobody else will. You should always demand the very best for you because otherwise you'll never get it. That's kind of counterculture to what Christ says, right? What does he say? He says the way to the very top of the table is to serve everyone at the table. (laughs) The one who wants to be first among you should be the last, and the last among you will be first, and the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And so he takes off the outer garment, drapes himself in a towel, picks up a basin, and then he goes and washes the disciples' feet. You see how different his worldview is from the one that we're taught all the time? And so Paul takes it on. And he says, I'll take the beating. But now that I've taken the beating, I'm gonna leave town and you'll never probably see me again, but I want you to be reminded that you can't do this and get away with this. And then he walks away, leaving behind the blessing. Listen to me for a moment. For a lot of us, we need to be reminded that there are people in our lives, we call, they probably call you mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or something crazy like that. I'm G-Paw, Shelly's Lolly. You know, the, the crazy things that you make up, right? It's crazy things that they come up with. And they probably call you those things, here's what I want to challenge you with. Volunteer for the beatings so that they might receive the blessings, if it's hard for you, it's not for you, it's for them. If it's out of your rights that you could demand, remember that it's not always about you, it is oftentimes about them. And you have the right to be treated differently, but if you sacrifice that, oftentimes they're watching, they're seeing and they're learning that demanding our rights does not make us Christ-like. It makes us fit in really well with our world, but it's not necessarily that Christ-like. So take a beating every now and then so that you can make sure that those who follow you and follow in your footsteps see that it's more important that you take the beating and let them have the blessing. And I promise you, it begins to expand in them, the kingdom work, works within them. And for all of us, we realize that thing that we want most, probably if you're anywhere over this age of 45 or so, what you want most is to leave behind a legacy that they can follow. They follow your example that leads them straight to the Lord. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. All right. So let's keep moving here as we move forward three lessons that we want to take from Philippi. First of all, being in the center of God's will doesn't keep us from very hard times and trials. I wish it did. It does not. I've said enough. We're going to keep moving. The other lesson that we learn here that we've already talked a little bit about this, but you see here in chapter 9, pardon me, chapter 16, verse 9, also in 22 through 24, it says they've been severely flogged, thrown into prison. And then we see this man that's watching it all that's hearing all the the songs and all of that stuff. He's a jailer and they don't even know that he really exists, I don't think. But then he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks and all of those things. That jailer is watching them even if they don't know who's watching them. Let's go to our next slide. The other thing that we see here is the jailer woke up Um, sometimes it, it, it jumps forward a little bit can you go back just one if you don't mind there we go the jailer woke up and he saw that the prison doors were open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped but Paul shouted don't harm yourselves we're all here back in those days if you let a prisoner escape you got the death penalty that's it That's why it's so important to know that the Roman soldiers who said that Jesus uh, had somebody come and steal the body, yeah, right, they'd be dead. (laughs) That's the way it went. So as Paul shouts, don't harm yourselves, we're all here. He's about to commit suicide and kill himself. The jailer calls for lights, rushes in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They didn't know he was paying attention. He hears their songs and he realizes these men are different. They're built different than I am. They're facing a hard, hard, hard night. And they don't know what's coming tomorrow. The earthquake happens and it sets them free. And rather than running, they stay put. They endure the beating so the blessing can be passed down. And in the process of it all, they wait And not just is the blessing passed to the Philippian church, but it's also passed to the jailer whose entire family becomes Christian in that very moment, in that very day. It's a powerful statement of what happens when we will say, I'll endure a difficult time so that others might be blessed. Let's go to our next slide. Um, I think this next slide here, that attitude is more of a choice then we make, <laughs> uh, then we often believe it, and then we often make it. In other words, a lot of us get into the place where we talk about our attitude, and well, I'm having a bad day because somebody cut me off in traffic, and so it's just been downhill from there, and you know that kind of thing, or whatever. Right? I mean, sometimes it doesn't take much at all to shift our attitude from good to very, very poor, and we just assume that that's okay. But I want to just share with you, our attitude is more of a choice than we make believe it is a lot of the time, and we act like it's okay to just simply have a negative attitude and to get basically so inward that we can't realize what is happening around us. I want to just share this with you, the lessons from Philippi, being the center of God's will doesn't keep us from hard times and trials, and then secondly, our attitude is more of a choice. Now, I, I want to just genuinely ask you this question. I'm, I'm moving quickly here. I genuinely want to ask you the question. If you were in Paul and Silas's situation, how many of you would have a bad attitude and be self-focused in that moment? Can I see your hands? Every single one of us, right? They have every reason, and they have every reason and excuse. But instead of doing that, they shift their focus and they begin to praise the Lord for what they're enduring. It's more of a choice than we make believe it is or act like it is. Let's go to our next slide. And I want to share this with you from Chuck Swindoll, who wrote the book that we're kind of going through. I've read this before many times because it just speaks to me so deeply. I know that not every one of you hears it each time I share it. But here's what Swindoll wrote a long time ago. He said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, what they say, or what they do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company. It will make or break a church. And it will make or break a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every single day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people are gonna act a certain way. And we cannot change the inevitable. The only thing that we can do is play on the one string that we have, and that is our attitude. And then he says these words that have become very famous. I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. Here is the truth. For most of us, our attitude is not the way that God would have it to be. We find reasons to be frustrated, upset, down, and yet we're in the midst of many, many blessings most of the time. And so I would encourage you, and I would take the same challenge, that my attitude needs to be examined and whether or not I am giving to God what he deserves from me. This Acts 16 passage is like a thorn in my side. I ain't going to lie because I have faced much, much, much less and had a much, much, much worse attitude in the process. I'm just talking about me. Y'all can decide what you think. Not, not about me, but about you. All right, let's keep moving. Here's where we go. The third lesson is that our attitude can keep us from seeing the needs of others in their worst moments. This impacts our own life and theirs also. In other words, those kids and grandkids that I talked about, how bad would it be for you and for me to be right there and able to be a blessing to them, but our attitude have us so self-focused, and so inward that we cannot instead be the blessing that they need in the moment that they need it the most. The jailer who is about to commit suicide, if Paul and Silas are not paying attention to him, he's dead by his own hand. Why? Because I'm thinking about me. And by the way, you deserve it. You're part of the problem here. You threw me in this inner dungeon and in these stocks. Whatever happens to you, you earned it. Why should I care? I mean, none of this sounds familiar to any of you guys. When you've been wronged or when the world's gone against you or when you've been having a day or a week or a month or a year. Is it only me that sometimes has had a week or a month or a year or is it any of y'all too? So here's what we see. We see the jailer's need And we see in the midst of it all, Paul and Silas saying, don't kill yourself. There's a new way of life we want to turn you on to. And they do in the very moment that he is needing most, they show up. And they show up with an outward vision rather than an inward one. All right. So here's the message list one more time. I'm going to jump to that slide if you don't mind. Callings, closed doors, and prison cells. We like the callings, not crazy about the closed doors, hate the prison cells. But in the midst of them all, they are all orchestrated and all being used by God. And so, in the midst of them all, whether it's the positive of the calling, the difficulty of a closed door and the confusion that comes, or in the prison cell where we are at our worst moments, I encourage all of us to say, you know what, God is still yet at work in my life and I will give him my attitude and I will let him be a blessing through me. I will take the beating so that others can receive the blessing. So real quickly as we talk about this, I wanna share something with you that I think might be helpful and I'm gonna do this very quickly. So if we can go to our next slide Big question, how do you handle your closed doors and your prison cells, enraged, enduring, or expecting the good that comes with them? Let's go to our next slide here. How many of you have ever heard about, oh, I'm on a mountaintop? How many of you have ever said that? It's when everything's going good, and you're on the mountaintop, and it's beautiful, and this is what you look like, you know, you... You're, you're, you're still here in the middle of flat Houston, Texas, but yet in the inside of your body, you're like this. It's nothing but sunshine, rainbows, and mountaintops, right? And then, how many of you have ever experienced this next slide? Oh, I'm in the middle of a dark valley. Oh, I'm, I'm this way or that way. Now, I just want to share with you that ultimately, it is not about a mountaintop or about a dark valley, because the truth is, is that you and I don't really have that experience in our lives. Usually, we tell ourselves that that's what we're having, but there's also something else going on that we forget. Rick Warren says it this way He says, It's not about a mountaintop where everything all across your life is perfect, and it's not about a valley where everything in your life is terrible. He said the more accurate way to look at it is like a railroad track, and I've shared this with you a lot, where there is one side of your life where things are going great, and then another side of your life where things are very, very difficult. And I even put a slide in here that's very familiar to you. I use the same picture every time, so hopefully it spurs a remembrance, because I've talked about this before. But usually for you, you've got plenty of time, but you've got no money. There's a positive and a negative. You've got things going great in your relationship, but things at work are really tough. There's two lines. You guys understand what I'm saying here? You've had that experience. But unfortunately, the way that we talk about it, we forget that God is at work. And we cease to see the positive because we're so focused on the negative. Let's take this back to Paul and Silas. They're in the midst of a dungeon. They're in the midst of a difficulty physically, that's probably different than anything that you or I will ever face. And yet they know that God is at work and that they're where He has them. And so they are positive and upbeat because of that rail that runs alongside the other that they could be focused on. But instead, they focus on the one that changes their attitude and lifts them from the doldrums in the dungeon to the place that God would have them. You see what I'm saying? And so here as I share this with you and as I'm closing this passage and talking about what we see in Paul and what we can learn, I'll tell you this. It is your choice because I bet even today that there are things that are going very, very well in at least one or two or three areas of your life, even in the midst of a difficult time. So I encourage you I'm not preaching at you and shaking my finger at you, but I encourage you, the thing that changes your circumstances is not to allow them to get you down, but instead to say, you know, even so I will praise the Lord because he's still at work. He's still doing something. And he's still opening doors. And he's still the one who called me to the place that I am. And he's still the one who surrounds me with this family that I'm trying to reach, that I'm not giving up on. He is still at work, even though I have to deal with this difficulty. And in the midst of it all, if we can find the the strength to say, my attitude will assume the victory that he will bring to this situation then we face it differently and we become different people in the process. Lord, you are good. And in the midst of our difficulties that we face, we don't pretend that it is something that we love. And yet at the same time, what we do want to uh, be faithful to do is to lift our eyes from the difficult circumstances and see where you are still at work and see that even in the hard times, in the waiting rooms, in the closed doors that we face, and even in the beatings and the, the prison cells that we find ourselves in, in the midst of all that stuff, you're still there, you're still at work, and you're still leading us from it. So Lord, may we praise you in the midst of our storms. May we give you glory and may our attitude reflect those things that you are doing in us May our attitude anticipate your victory in all of our lives. So for a moment, and I mean just for a moment, I've already prayed. And hopefully you took that time to pray as well. But with everybody having their head bowed and their eyes closed and nobody's looking around, I wonder if you're dealing with some of those same things that I spoke about, the closed doors, the prison cells, that's what's going on in your life, figuratively, emotionally, if that's where you are, and you just wanna simply lift your hand as a way of saying, you know what? I know that's where I am, but I also know God is with me, that this is where God has me right now, but in the midst of it, I'm gonna anticipate that he is at work And that he's going to bring a victory. You just simply want to lift your hand. I'm not going to call you out in any way. But some of you might be there. May God bless you. May God bless you. May God bless you and you. May God bless you. God bless you as well. And Father, you've seen all the hands that were raised. But you also know others that did not. Truth be told, Lord, we're all there at one time or another. We want to be faithful to you. Lord, we love you. We know that you are the one who brings us victory. And so we worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody together said.